What's up, y'all? This is John Lawrence, and this is another short podcast on the idea that safety is a capacity. This is episode 97 of Anesthesia Guidebook. Before we get to the goods, I want to drop a couple of updates on you. The first one's personal. I'm happy to report that my kids are doing great. My wife and I have a two-year-old, and our little one turns six months old today. While we're pretty much getting wrecked by the two little dudes... <laughs> They're thriving, uh, and I think we're going to make it overall. I'm always stoked to get a new podcast out to you, but now more than ever, given how busy our lives have become with two little kids. Uh, the other update is professional. So our team from Maine Medical Center was out at the AANA Annual Congress back in mid-August, and I'm thrilled to have received a few applications from CRNAs and SRNAs since the conference. If you're interested in joining an incredible team of providers at our Level 1 Trauma Center in Portland, Maine, drop me an email or message on social media. You can reach me at john at anesthesiaguidebook.com. That's J-O-N at anesthesiaguidebook.com. I'm also stoked to have a couple conferences on the horizon next month. I am the anchor presentation for the Maine Association of Nurse Anesthesiology that's running the first weekend in October and that's at the Portland Regency Hotel. There's a virtual option available, so if you want to join in from away, we'd love to see you. I'll be offering a review of practical pharmacology for anesthesia providers at 1 p.m. on Sunday, October 8th. <laughs> so if you want to join in, you can register at meana.org. That's M-E-A-N-A.org. M-E-A-N-A.org. I'll also be speaking at the Encore Symposium Fall Meeting at the Cliff House Resort in Cape Netic, Maine, that's running October 16th to 19th this fall. I'll be doing a handful of conversations with folks at that conference, so if you're coming, I look forward to seeing you there. And if next month is too quick for you to make plans, then put Encore's Bar Harbor Maine conference on your radar for next October. I'm thrilled to join them next fall in Bar Harbor, which is just outside of Acadia National Park here in Maine. If you've never been to Acadia in October, it is absolutely worth a visit. It's usually incredibly beautiful that time of year. Uh, to, you, know, you can take in the changing of the leaves, the New England coastline, it's island living. It's just amazing. It's going to be a great time. The speaker lineup is looking pretty sweet. Uh, I'm happy to join some old friends at that conference. And you'll also meet some of our phenomenal CRNAs from Maine Med who always attend that conference. So those dates are October 14th to 17th, and that's Encore Symposium's Bar Harbor Maine Conference next fall. All right, so those are the updates. Let's get to the podcast. I recently read a couple books that I'd recommend to anyone interested in patient safety, organizational behavior, systems design, and human factors. One is Safety Differently by Sidney Decker and Todd Conklin, and the other is The Five Principles of Human Performance by Todd Conklin. Decker's got another book aptly titled Patient Safety that's also foundational and stellar in this domain of thinking. So these guys are safety engineers and educators. They're collaborators, and they think and write about safety engineering in all kinds of domains, from aviation to industry to healthcare. 
It's a broad focus, and they've both served as consultants in all of these fields, so they draw on a pretty wide set of reference points when communicating on how to design for safety. They both have earned PhDs, Deckers in Cognitive Systems Engineering, and Conklin's in Organizational Behavior. So Conklin was talking about how safety isn't the absence of errors, but the capacity for good outcomes. This is going to twist your mind around a little bit. For many people, this is a new way of thinking. In fact, Conklin and Decker refer to this as safety differently or the safety two perspective. The safety one perspective or old way of thinking is that safety is about minimizing errors. It's about identifying risk, including human behaviors, and implementing steps to prevent errors from happening. Success is often measured in low to zero error rates and errors are punishable offenses. The safety two or safety differently perspective doesn't overlook the need to minimize errors, but it focuses on building the capacity for the right thing to happen versus a feverish focus on whack-a-moleing potential risk and frankly, whack-a-moleing the people who make mistakes. The idea is that safety is not an outcome, but rather a capacity that's built up over time through thoughtful design of systems and careful handling of people in systems, both when things go right as well as when errors happen. It's about figuring out how humans are doing the work, including all of their workarounds, in order to generate successful outcomes and finding ways to support and foster positive outcomes on a consistent basis. And when things go wrong, people aren't punished. While egregious error and outright negligence is always possible, safety too presumes people are smart and are trying to do the right thing. So if something goes wrong, there's likely a system input, factor, or design that created a high probability that something would in fact go wrong. So the focus is on understanding how the worker performed in a faulty system and then trying to improve that system so there's a higher likelihood that the right thing happens the next time around. This idea is interesting for me for a couple of reasons, for a number of reasons really. As a chief CRNA at a level one trauma center, I've had the opportunity to sit in on a number of root cause analyses or RCAs. I think our team generally handles these very well. The folks in the risk office seem to have a very healthy perspective on supporting providers who were involved in an error and then working to understand what conditions were in place that led to the error happening and then trying to improve the system. Even though most of these investigations have been facilitated very well, there's often still this tension present from some folks who are involved who would rather drag out the provider and say something like, It's your fault. You made a bad decision. The system's fine. You made the mistake. If only you were better, then the error wouldn't have happened. Now, like they're not actually saying that, but that's that's kind of the intent behind all the conversation that goes into processing these things is that pretty much it's a bad actor. It's the person who made the mistake that's faulty. It's not the system. And, you know, if only we had better employees or better providers, then we wouldn't have mistakes. So this is an old way of thinking. It's generally not that helpful. The idea that Conklin and Decker are peddling is that safety is a capacity that organizations build up by fostering healthy work environments where staff can bring forward concerns, offer ideas and improvements, and advocate for safer systems to be put in place. It's about focusing on what goes well and building a greater potential for the right thing to happen within both the organization's systems and with the people who work there. 
So here's a couple of interesting points of traction on this idea for me. This is kind of where the rubber met the road for me. The first is I used to have people all around me when I was a critical care nurse and I was thinking about getting into anesthesia school tell me something like, oh, I could never be an anesthesia provider because the risk is too high. I wouldn't want the liability. That always kind of struck me as odd. I was like, is there some wildly inappropriate level of risk or liability in the anesthesia community that I'm, I'm not aware of? Like, are people just rampantly getting sued and just making mistakes all over the place? It just didn't, it didn't, I don't know, it didn't sync up with my perspective of how the operating room worked. Uh, I also had something very similar happen when I was in the early years of my whitewater paddling career. Now, let me unpack this story just a bit for you. So stick with me. I promise it's going to link back in. So back in the day, I had the great fortune of befriending a guy by the name of Eli Helbert at Landmark Learning down in Western North Carolina. We were teaching swift water rescue courses together. We were teaching wilderness medicine courses together. Uh, we were doing this through Landmark Learning and Knowles. And Eli more or less taught me how to paddle during that time. Eli is one of the greats in the whitewater paddling community, and he's known for being highly proficient in whitewater canoeing. Now, this is likely not your granddad or your uncle's kind of whitewater canoeing. I mean, I've had that experience, you know, snaking down a class two river in a 16 foot aluminum grumming canoe with no airbags and hoping it all works out. <laughs> this is not what I'm talking about. Eli and eventually myself as well paddles short open canoes that look more like whitewater kayaks than canoes. Uh, they're plastic. Uh, they're chock full of airbags to help keep the water out. There's no spray skirt though, like on a kayak. And the paddler uses a canoe paddle, obviously. So a single blade paddle versus the classic double bladed kayak paddle. And the rivers well, really the creeks uh, that we paddled were most often steep creeks littered with class four and five whitewater, uh, which is considered the most challenging able to be paddled. So Eli was this rare breed of boater. When I started paddling, Eli and maybe a couple other guys were the only canoeist out there getting after it on this extremely challenging you know, class five whitewater. Everyone else was in kayaks because they're easier to paddle. There's a there's an easier learning curve when you're paddling a kayak. You've got a spray skirt on so water never gets into your boat if you crash through a wave. And you've got a double-sided paddle. So paddling and bracing on both sides of the boat are, well, twice as easy. There used to be this adage about whitewater canoeists. Half the paddle, twice the paddler. <laughs> And that was definitely Eli. And then there was me, this newbie little Grom from Missouri who stumbled into working and boating alongside this paddling god. A very good mutual friend, here's where the story clicks in, a very good mutual friend of ours who taught Swiftwater Rescue and Wilderness Medicine with us used to tell me that once I was ready to paddle harder stuff, moving out of class two and three and into serious white water, class four, and definitely class five, I needed to switch to a kayak. I think he literally told me I couldn't paddle a canoe in class five whitewater. Only Eli could do that. Like he was some sort of superhuman whitewater Jedi or something. You know, but the way that I saw it with both paddling and with becoming an anesthesia provider is that they're probably learnable skills. 
And as my knowledge and skills grew, and if I maintained a humble, cautious attitude, my capacity to handle greater risk and challenge would grow both in my profession and in paddling. And that is what happened. Now, in both paths, I was not error-free. Far from it. The beatdowns have been many. (laughs) But I've also increased my capacity to handle the challenge, complexity, dynamics, and risk in both settings. Because of Eli's generous tutoring and coaching, I was eventually able to hang with him on most of the creeks that he would go run. Most of them, not all. He is an insanely good paddler after all. One of the moments I'll always be stoked about is running the green at 200% with him. And then later that year, the fall before I started anesthesia school, getting to run the Green River race with him. For over a decade, he was the only whitewater canoeist who had the capacity to run the green race and largely because of him showing that it was possible and the improved risk management design on race day over the years. Now there's numerous other folks, uh, women, men, and theys who are out there paddling canoes uh, down the green, even racing the green on race day. So in closing, there's two themes here. Safety is the capacity of individuals to generate positive outcomes in different settings of risk, challenge, and complexity. And safety is the capacity of systems and organizations to generate positive outcomes in different settings of risk, challenge, and complexity. As providers, we have the ability to increase our capacity for generating positive outcomes in complex situations. We can get better at doing our jobs. This is the path to mastering your craft the journey we're each on towards authentic expertise. And we also have the potential to design systems, organizations, and processes that increase the capacity for good things to happen, not just to minimize and avoid error. This is the idea of a rising tide lifting all boats. This pulls in the concept of positive deviance that I talked about back in episode 83 on the podcast, which is identifying what's working well even if it's a deviation from expected workflows, and then normalizing those behaviors to improve outcomes. So safety is a capacity. It's the capacity to generate expected outcomes. That capacity should grow as the risk and complexity increases. There's an individual capacity component to it, and there's an organizational capacity component to it. We intuitively know this. You wouldn't want to have open heart surgery or a brain tumor removed by a general surgeon working in a rural hospital. You want a specialist surgical and anesthesia team working in a specialized system of care. The important shift for me on this is how we think about managing risk and errors and building for expected outcomes. A robust safety program shouldn't solely be focusing on minimizing errors. It should focus on building capacity, normalizing the idea that in complex systems, errors are normal, that people inherently try to do the right thing and likely aren't the core problem, that learning from what works well, near misses, and errors are all extremely valuable, and that we must handle the people involved in near misses and errors carefully with kindness, support, and grace so that they go on to build greater personal capacity in their practices and then help support our system of care that relies on transparent reporting and proactive process improvement. So there you go. 
Maybe this was a little bit longer than a shorty short podcast, but I hope the extra stories help this concept stick with you. Safety is not the absence of errors. That would be like sticking to class one and two whitewater because you're afraid to make a mistake on more challenging rivers. Safety is the capacity to manage risk, challenge, and complexity and still generate positive outcomes. That capacity should grow over time as the skills and knowledge of both the organization and the individual increase. For the boaters out there, it's about learning to boof the gnar so you don't get chundered. And with that, I'll see you next time. What up, y'all? I wanted to drop a reminder that if you're a CRNA looking for a great team to invest yourself in your career in, check us out at Maine Medical Center in Portland, Maine. While the clinical opportunities would challenge you and the location is one of the best, our people and sense of community are truly what set us apart. Reach out if you want to learn more.